Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, guys, we are going through the letter to the Galatians, and I've mentioned before that this is a very unusual letter of the letters that Paul wrote. It's actually a pretty, besides Romans, it's it's an interesting letter in that Paul lays out his whole concept of salvation for us here. But the purpose of this letter is because, it's one of the earlier letters, is he started churches in the Galatian area, as he did. He left there went to other areas, and a few months later, after he's gone, he's getting reports that the people that he started the church among, people that he had led to Christ, people who were growing in the Lord while he was there, had allowed themselves to be deceived, had allowed themselves to be skewed in their thinking about what salvation is, and especially in this whole concept of being accepted by God. Someone had come alongside of them and told them, yeah, you have Jesus for salvation, but you also need to do all these other things to be accepted with God. And in particular, in that situation, it was that they would be circumcised if they were male, that they would be eating the dietary laws of the Old Testament, keeping the new festival and the new moons, and all of these other things, basically keeping the law. And he comes along and calls them foolish, And he very clearly makes the point that they have been deceived from the true gospel and what God has done for them. And and basically, up until this point, he's been trying to explain that to them. And we're going to see that, especially today, he's going to help you to understand. In fact, I was reflecting this morning on our message, and I realized, well, I'll tell you a little bit later what I realized. This is a powerful thing for you and I, because the fact of the matter is, most of us in our Christian lives operate in a dilemma. We say, I don't, I don't, I'm basically I'm going along fine, George. I come to church every Sunday. I give. I read my Bible. Yeah, but we have a dilemma that's going on in our lives. Let me explain it to you. I'll give you two thoughts here. Okay, here's the first one. We are caught in a continual cycle of defeat in our lives. Whether you realize it or not, you're caught in a continual cycle of defeat in your lives. And what I mean by that is, is okay, you're going along, you feel like you're there with the Lord, but then the inevitable happens. What is the inevitable? You sin. That's just inevitable. You need to understand that. Nobody here is perfect. In fact, nobody has ever lived since Adam and Eve that did not sin except one person, Jesus. And he was only able to do it because he was what? God. So here you are, you're living for the Lord, and the inevitable happens, you sin. Now here's what usually happens when you sin. Because you have the Holy Spirit living within you, and you sin, what happens, folks? You get guilty, you have a conscience, you feel shame, You feel defeated. You struggle, because how do I get over this? How do I get over this? The cycle continues on. 
In what way? Well, you figure out, well, I got to get back into my relationship with the Lord. I got to get back into the right place with him. And if you were to talk to people, they will always say the same things to you. Well, you need to start coming to church more. Start reading the word more. Reading the Bible more. Maybe uh, get involved more. One of the most interesting things that happens for me as a pastor is, is occasionally people will quit coming to church. And family members will come to me who are concerned for their family members who are no longer coming to church, and they'll say to me, well, isn't there something they can do in church? Isn't there something we can get them involved more and they'll, they'll start coming more? Uh, you don't understand. That's the wrong formula. You don't get them involved to get them to come to church. They get involved because they come to church. Do you understand what I'm saying? They get involved, they serve because of a heart flowing out of love for Christ. You don't create a love for Christ by getting them involved. Do you understand? So here we are. We, we tell them all these things and if, to do this, and so they do it, but the cycle continues. Because what happens? It's inevitable. You're going to what? Sin. And so you go from one defeat to another defeat. And with each defeat, and depending on the severity of the sin, comes that whole thought of what more do I need to do to get back in good graces with God, to have God show me favor again, to have God show me favor. And so we're caught in a continual cycle of defeat in our lives, and it's a dilemma. And let me just tell you that it is normal to be in this cycle. I am not describing something here that is abnormal. How do I know that? And this is one of the things I was reflecting on this morning. I was reflecting on some of the heroes of the faith that I hold high in my mind and in my life through the years. One of them was Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China. Hudson Taylor very clearly expresses that before a certain point, even as he was living for the Lord and even as he had even started the China Inland Mission, he was in this cycle. And it was very, very defeating for him. Very defeating for him. So here's a guy who is, I mean, China is today partly because of the church in China, partly because of the, of the ministry of Hudson Taylor several hundred years ago. If this could happen to him, you better believe it'll happen to you and I, right? You better believe it, it'll happen to you and I. We're, we're caught in a continual cycle of defeat in our lives. Here's the second point. We feel that we have to exert effort to get back on track with the Lord. We feel we have to exert effort to get back on track. So again, what I was saying, I need to go to church more, I need to give more, I need to serve more, I need to volunteer more. I need to go, I need to go to everything at the church. I need to, I, I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to quit going here. We, we feel like we need to do that. And it's only natural that you and I feel that way. Why? Because it's like any other kind of relationship. So if Lori and I have a conflict going on and she's mad at me, which she typically is, there is a natural tendency for me to all of a sudden be sensitive to what her needs are and and she'll see right through it. What are you wanting? Why are you doing this? You don't normally do this. You know what I'm talking about. We're, we're exerting effort to what? Get back on track, right? We do the same thing with the Lord. Because you're caught in that cycle of defeat, and you want to get back on track, and we all tell the people the same things. 
You've been told it. I've been told it. I've told it to others. You've told it to others. It's the big three. Get back to church. Start reading your word. Start praying. Don't we do that? Get back to church. Start reading the word. Start praying. Now, in and of themselves, those are good things. And I'm not saying that they're bad things, so don't do those things. Don't, don't get me wrong here. But what I'm trying to tell you is you have developed a mindset that thinks that those good things are the way to get back into good graces with God. And what Paul's going to show you today is he's been trying to tell you all along they're meaningless because something else has already taken place. Something that you aren't even aware of. Oh, you're aware of it. But you haven't had that aha moment. You know what an aha moment is, right? You're sitting there and a thought occurs to you, ah, oh. So that's why we come to these few verses we're going to look at today. We're going to look at verse 15 through 18 of chapter 3. We're going to focus on those verses today. We'll continue on with verse 19 next week. But let's look together. Let's look at verse 15. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law which was 430 years later, did not annul the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. All right, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to basically break this down into two sections. We're going to look at verse 15. Verse 15 is, you might be reading it if you're using a New King James and you're like, what is he saying? Well, it's an example from life. I'll explain that in a moment. And then verses 16 through 18, we're going to see the nature of the promise. And I, I want you to hear me. You need to grasp the nature of the promise if you're going to break that cycle. So let me go ahead and tell you right now. You can break that cycle. Wouldn't you like to break that cycle of defeat in your life? Wouldn't that be great? Because we all live with it, right? Okay, listen. Let's, let's talk about the nature, the example from life. What do you mean the example from life? Well, if you look at verse 15, he says an interesting statement that in the New King James, or in King James, you'd be like, what in the world is he talking about here? Well, let me explain it to you because the NIV actually brings it out better. He says, brother, and I speak in the manner of men. Okay, the NIV will say, here's an example from life. So Paul, so that you understand what we're talking about here with relationship to your salvation, your acceptance with God. Okay, that's what we're talking about here, folks. Folks, We're talking about the salvation that he's given to you and I. We're talking about the acceptance that we have with God. He's going to use, so this is the first point I want you to see here. He, you only need to look at everyday life to understand. That's what he's saying here. You only need to look at everyday life to understand what I'm going to be saying to you here. And in particular, what he's going to talk about here is something that you and I understand all the time. It's called a contract. Does everybody understand what a contract is? So, for instance, how many of you have a smartphone? 
Raise your hand. Don't raise the phone, but raise your hand. You have a smartphone. Okay. Now, when you went and got that smartphone, if you called Verizon or Cricket or or Straight Talk or AT&T or uh, Blues Cruise, I don't know. I was in Altoona the other day, and I was amazed at all of the different mobile phone shops. I didn't know there were that many. But if you got a phone with them, they have you, isn't it interesting, they all have you sign what? A contract for what? Two years, right? So we understand contracts, right? Everything's with regards to a contract, right? So we only need to look at life because we understand contracts. Here's what he's saying. So here's my second point I want you to see. Verse 15. Though it's only a man's covenant, so he's talking about a contract, yet if it is confirmed, another word would be sealed, no one annuls or adds to it. So nobody can add to your contract, right? Well, you know, I got the right lawyer, George. Okay, forget that you got the right lawyer. But in the, in the midst of most life, you can't really add to a contract, right? Or change it. That's the point he's making here. Once a contract is sealed, you can't change it. Does everybody understand that? Everybody agree with that? What does that have to do with our salvation? What does that have to do with my acceptance with God? Well, Paul's going to tell you that it has everything to do with it. It has everything to do with it, and that's what he's going to talk about right now. He's going to talk about, verses 16 through 18, the nature of the promises that were given. And this is very important for you and I to understand if we're going to get over this cycle of defeat that we find ourselves in. So let's take a look at what he says. Look with me at, first of all, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were promises made, he does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. So here's the first thing. The promises were made to Abraham and his seed, Jesus. You know what, if you and I were to, if we didn't know what he just said in this passage, typically if we went to Genesis and we see that God made this promise to Abraham and to his seed, most of us, including myself, would have said, well, that's Israel. His seed is Israel. He's talking about his seed. Well, actually, Paul comes along and says, no, 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 you don't understand. He's not talking about the many seeds. He's talking about one particular seed. The promises that he gave Abraham that you and I share in. We already talked about that. Go back to verse 14. He redeemed us so that you and I could share in the promises of Abraham. Do you understand? The promises given to Abraham. He gave those promises to who? To Abraham and to his seed, meaning Jesus. Why is that significant to you and I? Because when you and I enter into salvation, who do we enter into? Jesus. And so now those promises belong to who? To us. So he made the agreement in the promise with who? With Abraham and with Jesus. Now notice, it didn't say many, did it? He didn't make the covenant or the promises with who, folks? He didn't make it with you in particular. Now you benefit from it, but the agreement isn't with you, right? It's with who? Abraham, who was righteous by what? His faith, and with Jesus. 
Do you understand? So the promises were made to Abraham and his seed, Jesus. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Look at me at verse 17. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant which was confirmed by God in Christ that it should be make the promise of no effect. All right, now here's what's going on. All right, so when we talk about circumcision, we all understand that. Jews are circumcised, right, on the eighth day. When we talk about their dietary laws, remember, they don't eat what, folks? Pork, bacon. They don't eat a whole lot of other things, too. All right, so when you think about their laws and so forth, he makes a point here. The promise was given to who, folks? Abraham. The law was given to who? Think about it. Who got the law? Remember the movie? Coming off the mountain with the tablets? Charlton Heston, right? He got the law. No, Moses. Moses, right? Moses. How many years was that after Abraham? You need a hint. Look at verse 17. 430 years later. See the point he's making here? It starts with a promise. The law came later for Israel, for a purpose. Now here's the point I want you to see here. Here's what you got to grasp, okay? Here's what I want you to see. The law and effort cannot cancel the grace of the promise. Some of you will find yourselves feeling like your relationship with the Lord is not where it should be because your week has been such that you have not spent time reading his word or you have not spent time in prayer like you should have been in prayer as you wanted to be in prayer and you will feel that God has changed towards you because you didn't do the things you normally do. And I'm telling you right now, nothing changed. You understand? Nothing changed. So I got four kids. Okay, I got two of them here. Got two over, overseas. Two at, might as well be overseas. It's Texas, okay? Two in Texas. And, and, and they go through different periods. So like this week, Madison contacted me and she said by message, Dad, I haven't talked to you in a long time. A week. That's a long time for her. Foster could be a month, okay? Listen, so what do I do? Hi, my name's George. Who are you? Do I do that with him? Oh, so you decided to call me, huh? No, I pick right up where the relationship was, right? Does it matter that there was a week that she didn't contact me? She's been busy. I've been busy. No, we pick it right up. Nothing's changed, right? Foster, it's been a couple of weeks, buddy. Yeah, picked it right up. What makes you think it's changed in your relationship with the Lord? I'll tell you what makes it change, because you think the action that you're doing is the relationship. Did you hear me? You think the praying and the reading is the relationship. That's not the relationship. That comes out of the relationship. 
The law or effort cannot cancel the grace of the promise. The promise was given to us. When? The moment you got saved. You entered into a meaningful relationship with Jesus who died for you in spite of you. Did you understand? In spite of you. Let's go on. Verse 18. He continues on here. Look at what he says. Verse 18. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. I'm going to point out two things here. Okay? First of all, if salvation needs continual effort, it cannot be from the promise of grace. All right, so I've said this to you before, so let me ask you again. When you came to Jesus, is it because of anything that you did or didn't do? Is that how you got salvation? Because of stuff you did or didn't do? Is that true or false? Well, there was nothing you could have done for salvation, right? Is it because of who you are, because of your education level, or, or where you went to school, or how much is in your bank account? Does salvation have anything to do with any of that? No. You came to salvation because you put your faith in the one who did it all for you. That was who, folks? Jesus. And at that moment... He accepted you, saved you, forgave you, gave you his spirit, made you new, gave you a hope for the future. And none of it had anything to do with who you are, what you've done or haven't done, right? Would you agree with that? Then why in the world do we think that in order for me to maintain the relationship with him, it's got to be based upon what I'm doing or haven't done. Folks, you do what you do because of the relationship, not for the relationship. Do you understand? There's a difference. And he's saying that if your salvation needs your continual efforts of reading the Bible and praying and doing all these other things, then it's not from the promise of grace. promise of grace tells you he loves you in spite of you. Remember what I told you a couple weeks ago? I mentioned it again last week. Paul told us this earlier in chapter, in the end of chapter 2, chapter 3. The law only proves one thing with us, folks. What does it prove? That you and I are what? Sinners. That's all the law proves. That's all the law is proving you set up some type of standard, I'm going to tell you right now, you will not meet your own standard. Everybody agree with that? I mean, if you don't have kids, you've already heard it. Dad, why are you telling us not to do that, but you do it? Because I'm a sinner. And so are you. So finally, verse 18 tells us this. The basis of salvation is a promise made by grace. 
That's the basis of your acceptance. It was a promise made to Abraham by grace. Did he have to accept Abraham? Was there anything about Abraham that was acceptable? Folks, have you read Genesis and looked at Abraham? What a scoundrel. How'd you like to be his wife? Go to town somewhere. Hey, who's this? This is my sister. Whoa, let me take her into my harem. He takes her. I mean, give me a break. What kind of guy is this? Someone who was shown grace by Jesus. Someone who believed by faith. Do you understand? So let me tell you my aha moment this morning. You know, through the years, I have, uh, I've really wrestled with the testimonies of these great saints that I look up to, like Hudson Taylor. Another one would be Oswald Sanders. Um, Oswald Chambers. Sanders as well. And all of them have in their life a moment. And it's all called different things. Depending on what church you're in, they call it different things. So for instance, uh, some, some groups will call it the second blessing. Some call it a place of commitment. Baptists used to call it years ago. They don't talk about this anymore, but they used to years and years ago coming under the lordship of Christ. But they all describe the same thing. It's about a moment where you find peace and the struggle ends and you rest in the Lord. In, in, in Hudson Taylor's life, it was when he was in China and he was really wrestling, really wrestling, trying to run the ministry there, trying to keep his life in order, trying to, to live a holy life and so forth. And the frustration of that got to a point where it was so real. And then it was a letter from a friend who was sent to him. And it was a key word that was given to him, a verse. Then all of a sudden, he, the light bulb went off into his mind. And he had a wonderful relationship with Christ from that point on, from that moment on. And it was so profound in its effect, he really didn't talk about it with anyone. In fact, the only reason why people know that it happened is he mentioned it 30 years later. And I've often wondered, what is it? Because he doesn't talk about it. Most of these guys don't talk about it. Well, I had the aha moment this morning. I can't say that I've had the experience that they have, but I understand more now than I ever did. Here's what it is. Let me try and put it in words. I'm accepted by God. Period. Not because of what I do. And I need to rest in that. Did you understand? That that's the issue. I have to come to a place, you and I have to come to a place of realizing he did it all for us. And I can break the cycle of defeat that I find myself in because I'm trying and I'm trying and I keep failing and I keep failing and I'm trying and I'm trying and I keep failing and I keep failing and I got to come to the place of realizing he loves me. And he accepts me. And that's all there is, and I need to rest in that. Did you understand? Salvation, the basis of salvation, is the promise made by grace. What's grace? Getting what you don't deserve. 
And we don't deserve it, do we? Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.